Welcome into Pod That, and this is the Seattle Seahawks Recap, Chapter 1. The year is 1976. The city of Seattle was known mostly for Boeing and aviation. There were no Microsofts, there was no tech bubble, and coffee? Well, most people just brewed their cup of joe at home. These were the years before Starbucks and $6 chai tea lattes and a Dick's hamburger still cost under 50 cents. 1976 saw the Boston Celtics legend Bill Russell coaching the one professional sports team in town, the Seattle Supersonics, and this was before the Sonics even hung an NBA Finals banner. Our Mariners were non-existent, we had lost the Pilots, and our only championship? Well, that belonged to the 1917 Seattle Metropolitans, who hosted the first Stanley Cup belonging to an American hockey team way back in 1917. Seattle was much different back then. Sure, the Space Needle still stood tall, but in 1976, the city finally got approval for the Woodland Park Zoo, and well, most of you listening have probably gone there on a field trip before. 1976 was a big year for the city. The Seattle Mariners got formed to become a franchise in the near future. Paul McCartney in the Eagle sold out venues in Seattle, and the Swedish king, Carl Gustav, actually proclaimed Ballard Avenue in a historical district all the way from Sweden. The Kingdom hosted its first sports event that year, and that included the arguably greatest soccer player of all time, the Brazilian legend Pele, as the Cosmos came in and defeated our Sounders 3-1 in front of a sold-out crowd. But perhaps the most important event of the year came on September 12, 1976, when the Seattle Seahawks played their first ever game, and thus began a love affair between a city and its football team. These are our 1976 Seahawks. I must say, I don't know, George. I don't know if that's <laughs> the most important part. Because the fact that I just learned that there was even a Sounders team back in 1976 might be the most important part. I, I, you know, <laughs> I thought the Sounders were a, a newly found team in, in, in the city of Seattle. Well, I'm not sure what soccer league they played in. I, 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 it, I think it was the U- USL. I think at that point it was the United Soccer League. Uh, it's not the MLS. So that went under after Pele left. I think that was the only thing keeping that going was the fact that Pele was playing in the United States. And it's pretty crazy to think that since then, I guess Seattle's always been a pretty good soccer town if they were selling out the kingdom in 1976. Yeah, I mean, it is a good soccer town now. So, I mean, it, it must have been a pretty good soccer town. Unless I don't know if you, I know more of the history of the Sounders, but I don't want to get into the Sounders anyways. Yeah, um, me either. <laughs> what a couple couple interesting notes are the uh, you know, the Starbucks wasn't even the big thing yet as I'm drinking not a Starbucks, but I have a Starbucks cup with a homemade coffee. Uh, you know, you have NBA teams not even really like a Seattle staple yet, right? I mean, it hasn't won a championship yet. And of course, when we originally planned this podcast, George, we were thinking about doing a full Seattle sports recap. So I'm glad you mentioned the hockey team because the only yes. piece of Seattle sports history I think we're really missing by not doing the full scope of Seattle sports history would be the 1917 Seattle Metropolitans, which I think they were the first American team to ever win a Stanley Cup, correct? Yes, or was it that's the first? Correct. Was it the first team? I think it was first American. The first right? American team to ever hoist the Stanley Cup. I like which, to say hoist. <laughs> hoist. Which this is the one problem I had with the new Seattle team name, the Kraken, was that you had a Stanley Cup back in the ni- early 1900s. You might as well have just gone with the same name. That's how I felt. But the Kraken's still I, cool. It's cool logo. Totally agree with you. you know, 
That's what I think. Um, well, George, for those that don't know, this is our new, as I said, chapter one, right? We are doing next week, 1977, and then 1978, and so on every single year until we get to present time. We're going to be re recapping and reviewing every season in Seahawks history. And like George Touchdown, maybe some of the stuff that happened within the city of Seattle. Um, and this is brought to you by our podcast, Pod That, and The Sports on Tap, thesportsontap.com. And uh, you can find us everywhere at Sant Seattle. I do have one thing to plug, George, before we get let's, started. Let's let's plug it. And plug it's important, it in, baby. Okay. Uh, and for those that might be hearing this in the far future, let's say a year from this, because this can last a long time. I mean, there, there's, yeah, I mean, there's no changing this I mean, podcast. Technically, just, this, this could last forever. I mean, you could be could. listening to this right now in 2077 and be like, "What the fuck is a space needle?" Yeah, well, no, basically, would probably still be. I think know. still, but yeah, I mean, you get you get my point. Maybe there's an alien invasion. Who knows? Well, my point was more that this information is never going to change because it already happened. Um, but I do want to talk about donating blood. Uh, we're partnering up, George, with Bloodworks of Seattle. Share the love, donate blood. Um, they're going to be at T-Mobile Park, where the Mariners play. I know some people might hear that as Safeco Field, the Kingdom, whatever, whatever year you're listening to this. I don't know what's going to be in the future. <laughs> but T-Mobile Park right now is really important in 2021 in February. Um, it's a Seattle Mariners pop-up, February 23rd, 25th, and 27th. And you can sign up, go donate blood. It's at bloodworks, NW, sorry, bloodworksnw.org slash donate. It's pretty simple. Um, the really cool thing, George, is people are really in need during covid their blood Absolutely. doesn't last very long. It's really important to donate blood. And I do say this. they uh, Between now and March 17th, you'll automatically be entered for a chance to win a car. So they have nine pre-selected oh, cars. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm in the selection. I don't know if I'll win a car, but, every, but everybody that donates blood gets put into a raffle for there's nine different cars. And on top of that, you get your uh, coronavirus antibodies and your blood type. So if you can make it to Safeco, or sorry, wow, see, it's a hard. T-Mobile yeah. Park. The 23rd, 25th, or 27th, sign up at bloodworksnw.org slash donate. And there's so many other locations. And if you ever just want to donate blood, you can go to that website and, and donate blood. I just donated blood for the first time. Uh, was that yesterday, George? No, two days ago. It was two days ago. And uh, you mentioned the uh, COVID-19. Uh, for those listening in the future, COVID-19 is a global pandemic that we're in right now. Um, but uh, did you get your antibodies back? Not yet. Not, Not yet. yet. All right. Cool. Or my blood type, but we'll get or there. I will get there. Um, well, George, everyone donate blood. Uh, George and I are both here. If you're watching this on YouTube, rocking some old school shirts. I got like a Tecmo Ball Seahawks shirt. George got his old school sweatshirt. And we're ready to talk some 1976 inaugural season Seahawks. Yep. Well, just to paint the picture here real quick, Sam, I'm just going to give you like two fun facts before we start this whole well, three, basically. Um, they and played. I, in the I'll have a fun fact for everyone. We did watch a YouTube video about the the season yes, we, last yesterday. We, we, did you finish it? I finished the the rest of the yeah. documentary this morning. Yeah, it was pretty it, cool. It was a cool team. But go ahead. Yeah, it was a cool team. Um, well, first of all, this was the only season until like for thirty years or twenty five years. The Seahawks actually were not in the AFC West. They were in the NFC West for the inaugural season before. Uh, before going to the AFC the following year in their division was the Los Angeles Rams, the New Orleans Saints, the uh, San Francisco 49ers and the Atlanta Falcons who somehow were in the West. Um, and they played six preseason games 
And last but not least, Sammy, before the season <laughs> the, started. The best is that this, now we're trying to like eliminate preseason pre- games. Then they're just like, have them all. Have half a season of preseason games. <laughs> Seriously, six preseason games. And uh, unfortunately, um, the owner of the Seahawks never got – the original owner of the Seahawks never got to watch a game as tragedy struck as the team owner Lloyd Nordstrom – you know, the Nordstrom uh, retail store, died of a heart attack before the season while vacationing in Mexico. Was it really one of the Nordstrom people that was the owner? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they pass it on to that family before they sold it later on. Uh, did you know that? There. No, I did not know that, but I also That's... did not know he did. kind of sucks, man. If you, like, go through all this, like, I'm bringing a professional football team to my city, Seattle, and then you die of a heart, a heart attack in Mexico before the season starts and never get to watch a game. I mean, that, that's just unfortunate. And the fact that it was Nordstrom. I mean, you don't have to be from Seattle to know what Nordstrom is. I know it's not worldwide and it's, you know, right. it's in a lot of big cities, but I mean, I think there's three, 400 stores nationwide. It's Nordstrom, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's a big, I mean, big retail brand. One of the biggest retail brands in the, in the country. Yeah. I mean, like probably for, especially, I would say, especially females, probably the biggest like place, uh, one of the, like the, the more like high class places that girls like to go shopping. Um, yeah. I, would, guy, I mean, it's like Absolutely. It's like Neiman Marcus, yeah. Nordstrom's, and Saks Fifth Avenue. Those are like the three like high-end, big-time, you know, bougie, if I might might say. I, I'm bougie myself. Um, retail brands. But yeah, he died of a heart attack while vacationing in Mexico. And I think he gave it to like one of uh, – it ended up going to another family member. So they, they owned the team. But yeah, it just sucks. Like you know, I had no they, idea it was the Nordstrom's though. Yeah, was it was. So yeah, it's kind of, kind of unfortunate. But yeah, I mean – Five, I mean, a couple of things there, Sammy. You said like the preseason was six games. There was five teams per division back then, which like kind of seems crazy now. I think there's only three divisions per conferences per conference and five teams per division. And that season, 1976, there was uh, Tampa came uh, into play with us as an expansion team too. But uh, I guess what, what what did you find interesting, like l- learning a little bit about this 1976 team? Um. That Nordstrom was the owner, first and foremost, <laughs> obviously. Tampa was another franchise team. The divisions do not shock me at all. I don't think it's weird at all. I mean, as you can see, they had two expansion teams. They were still – that just that proves that they were still figuring out how to make things fit in the NFL. So nothing really yeah. shocks me division-wise. division, division wise. Um, It's kind of cool that we were playing – I know that we played one year in the NFC West, moved to the AFC, and then later transitioned back into the NFC, which we'll get to in one of our podcasts, whatever year it was. Um, yes, but absolutely. what really sh- strikes me here is the six preseason games. I mean, I think back then we only had 14 regular season games. Yep. Right. So, I mean, we're almost not actually, but almost talking half the amount for preseason games, which is kind of 14, 14 regular season, six pre uh, we're talking 20 games and six of them are, are yeah. uh, preseason. I, I find that to be, quite crazy maybe it was because and let's just say maybe and we can mention the record they were one and five in preseason at least they got a win yes. in that that preseason um but maybe it was because back then there was less like film on players and you know college recruiting and scouting that like you actually needed games to figure out what the hell is going on with your team and i think you know, that's, that's very possible that, that's very possible i never thought of it like that but you might be absolutely right i mean at the end this right now they play 20 games with preseason and back then they played 20 games with preseason but except we only had two we had two less regular season games but i think you might be right well, about actually, that actually now we play 21 technically because i think starting next season right yeah 
expanded yeah, yeah, to 17. Starting so. But I, I think you're right. I mean, it's kind of kind of overkill to me to have six preseason games. I think we can all agree with that. But uh, four is overkill these days. <laughs> I mean, four is over. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And but I think you're right. I think it was due to the um, to the what you said, what you said, right? That you couldn't scout as easily. There wasn't tape. It wasn't like they went on YouTube.com and looked up, uh, you know, the rookie fourth round pick, Steve Largent from Tulsa university. They probably picked Steve Largent from Tulsa university figured saw him at practice. Like, damn, this guy could be pretty good. And, uh, it's kind of what I thought was like kind of the coolest thing of the season like Steve Largent, that was his rookie year. And, you know, when he retired, he's all time leader in the NFL history in catches and yards and receiving touch touchdowns and it all started during our inaugural season which became his rookie season and you know before jerry rice came into town not into town into the world uh steve largent was the greatest jerry wide receiver of all did time come into town at some point it was not good and yeah yeah he did come into town later he did come on to town, in, uh, so that wasn't inaccurate us. it just was not a good moment for jerry rice's career or for the seahawks yeah um, but steve largent was the original I think West Steve Largent is a great moment in a two and twelve inaugural season, right? I mean, I, we didn't mention mm-hmm. the record. That's something we should mention probably early on. It was two and twelve, right? It was nothing phenomenal, but you don't really get great expansion seasons. That's rare. I know, like right. the Las Vegas Knights in twenty nineteen, the hockey team had you know made it to the Stanley Cup in their first year, but that's that's, and that's a rare because thing. NHL, and that's because also NHL m- makes it rules yes e- rules easier for expansion teams to be good. The expansion draft is very team friendly in the NHL. Yeah, but I was I was just more saying the obvious that that's not the case in the NFL. We right. uh, you know go two and twelve, but in a two and twelve year, you do still have some notable things, right? You have uh, Steve Largent in his rookie year, which as a fourth round pick, probably one of one of the many great late round picks for the Seahawks. When you look at Steve Largent up to like our generation of like the Doug Baldwin's, Richard Sherman's, Cam Chancellor's, Russell Wilson's, like we have a lot of of our our Hall of Famers are not coming in the first round, and then you also have the the Jim Zorn rookie QB who, as we watched, they were calling him a modern day Frank Tarkenton. And he was very vert, like very mobile, very versatile quarterback yeah. for a young rookie quarterback. Um, and, and a lefty. Some of the highlights from, yeah. And a lefty. Those are some of the highlights from a, um, like, you know, from a, I guess a season that doesn't have many highlights outside of being an inaugural team. But I do see that you wrote something down here, George. Mm-hmm. Which was first win in franchise was versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes, the first also franchise the, win. Yep. Was, they were also the expansion team? Yes, they were. So they were um if you if it was the expansion championship, I might as well say in there Tampa. There may be an error though, but I, I have more I have another follow-up before you finish this. Why are okay. they three and thirteen and the Seahawks are two and twelve? Why what's I, up with the game differentials here? I am not quite sure why they were three three and 13 and we're two and 12. Uh, I don't know if that makes no sense. Did they make the, they didn't make the playoffs. I'll tell you that much. Um, but they no, definitely no, no, that, oh, that was the score. Okay. That was yeah. Yeah. 14. Yeah. Okay. And, and by the way, uh, that score is wrong. That should be 13 to 10 Seattle Seahawks, uh, in that game, not 13 to three. I don't know why I wrote 13 to three. Uh, and the game ended as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, lined up to kick a field goal to tie the game and send it into overtime in Tampa. And uh, the Seattle Seahawks actually blocked the game winning or game tying field goal attempt to secure the first win in franchise history. Wow. Well, what's what it is nice. 
that at least when we're saying there's not much to happen in a two and 12 year, you look at Tampa Bay, they went, Oh, and 14 in their debut yeah. season. So at least we weren't the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who uh, now in 2021 won a Super Bowl. But <laughs> yeah, and somehow uh, now if you look back at it, actually it's from 1976 till now, uh, Tampa has two Super Bowls in two Super Bowl appearances. We have three. one Super Bowl in three appearances. Which honestly is not that there are some teams that in that time span have not made the Super Bowl. So absolutely. A, even a one Super Bowl win, they have two, but three appearances to two appearances. They've done a better. They've done better than a lot of franchises in that in that time frame. But I, I do want to bring back one point I made, George, that I think is very interesting, and we're going to probably be talking about this, you know, on chapter like twenty twenty five. Is the Steve Largent kind of was the beginning of a long road of Seahawks Hall of Famers that came from the third, fourth, fifth round. Uh, it's yeah, actually very right. interesting to me in, in we talking about, if you think about the Seahawks franchise as of late, the part of the biggest reason their franchise has been successful is third round quarterback, Russell Wilson. They had, was it seventh round, like cam chancellor and sixth round yeah. Russ, uh, Richard Sherman. And, and you've had uh, DK Metcalf, I think like third round, it might be a hall of fame wide receiver one day and probably <laughs> going to surpass Dude. Steve Largent. He already surpassed his rookie record. He might surpass him all time as a Seahawks receiver one day. Uh, he's kind of started a long line of history of, I feel like maybe it was just more recent, but it's kind of interesting that the first ever great player from the Seahawks happened to be, um, happened to be somebody that was also drafted late in the draft. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a really, uh, Actually, a really good point there, and you know, I guess we, you know, we we learned really quickly how to draft in the late rounds, which is always a good thing uh, as a franchise. But you know what, I wanted to bring up Sammy, I wanted yeah. to bring up our star tight end Ron Howard, and people be like, why would you want to bring up a tight end named Ron Howard who had thirty-seven catches for four hundred twenty-two yards, no touchdowns, and was an undrafted uh, second-year player? And the reason I want to bring it up was I thought. So Ron Howard didn't play football in uh, high school. Ron Howard didn't play football in college. Ron Howard was a basketball player at Seattle U. And I just found it really interesting because usually I thought this was a new thing, bringing in former basketball players to play football. But it look, I, I don't know if we were like ahead of our time or something like that. But 1976, Ron Howard, Seattle University was our starting tight end. And... I mean, he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't putting up a thousand yards like Antonio Gates or Tony Gonzalez or um, Jimmy Graham, who was a basketball player as well. But pretty impressive, actually, that, you know, back then that these tight people had the thought, right? Like, oh, basketball player, athletic and big. Let's let's, let's put him in that tight end. If only I was a GM back then, I probably would have caught on to that one really quick. <laughs> oh, six, six, five, two fifty can jump really high. Can you catch the football? Good. Yeah, but it's pretty good. So maybe the Seahawks were revolutionary, man. They had the white, quick wide receivers in like Steve Largent. They had the tight ends that played basketball. And they had the mobile quarterback in Jim Zorn. Who was lefty. Who was lefty. I mean, talk about a team that was before its time. No wonder the Microsofts of the world came to Seattle down the line. Tech, innovation, boom. 
And I do want to mention, Sammy, the, the the guy. Sorry to cut you off there. The guy narrating that video on YouTube. I just want to be want to say like, you guys got to watch it. Zip, boom, ching. Like I need to start using those type of sound effects uh, when I'm talking as well. It was definitely old school sound effects. I was. I'll say that much. Um, now the thing is, I did. I, I did bring up some statistics, George. I can't go oh, cool. a full recap podcast without statistics. Um, Obviously, the Seahawks had some solid blowouts all year, okay? <laughs> um, you know, like, I mean, like, we're talking 31 31-17, 37-21, 28-13, 41-14, 45-6, 34-7. Not very pretty, right? Um, and I brought up Jim Zorn's stats. All right. Now, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who's – more inaccurate. Jim Zorn or Jameis Winston of modern day? Jim Zorn played 14 games. This is awful. I, I, I didn't even know it was this bad. This is awful. Jim Zorn was 23-year-old rookie. He went uh, 208 for 439, which is a 47% completion. Percent. Yeah, 47%. 2,000 yards, 12 touchdowns, 27 picks. <laughs> 27 picks? In 14 games. Don't forget, 14 games. Woo. So that was two a game. Oh, he was one short of two a game. Well, uh, I guess Jim Zorn, uh, you know, he, he was the original. You got to risk it to get the biscuit type of guy. I mean, he had the right, maybe the right uh, idea mindset. there, risk it, maybe the right mindset. Yeah, he later became a head coach in the NFL, so he must have been, a, you know, pretty smart to do that. But uh, <laughs> that's those are some those are some like historically bad stats. Forty seven percent. I mean, that makes Tim Tebow seem accurate. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking up most interceptions in a season now. Jim Zorn must fall on the top, you know, very close there because Jameis Winston was he number one at thirty? No, no, no. no. We had we had Eli Man we had Eli Manning seasons at thirty. I think we've had a Brett Favre season at thirty. But in fourteen yeah. games, still, that's pretty impressive. We had we've had a, a, a few good Frank Tarkenton at thirty two. The highest is 42, George Blanda. He was the one that played until he was like 43. I compared him on yeah. a Tom Brady picture once. Oh, yeah, we that's We had right. uh, Manning's well, rookie no year at 28 as well. So maybe, well, no you know what, actually. called him uh, a modern-day uh, Frank Tarkenton. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, 27 actually fits in some great company, some very good company. So I'm actually uh, proud of Jim Zorn. Jim Zorn is in company with Jay Cutler, uh, Joe Namath, Eli Manning, Drew Bledsoe. George Blanda, uh, I mean that—that's a lot of guys at twenty-seven that are some great football players. So oh, yeah, he's man. falling so into some good to... names, and above him, even more interceptions. George, we're, we're talking more Joe Namath, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, Jameis Winston, Ken Stabler. I mean, maybe it wasn't a bad thing that he went ahead and threw twenty-seven picks in his first season. Um, you know, maybe he—he he had the right—he had the right idea. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, for his career, just to let you know, though, Jim Zorn ended up going 44 and 62 with 111 touchdowns and 141 interceptions. Wow. I mean, but goddamn, he was a starter for what, 10 years? Six, seven, eight, nine years as a starter in Seattle. And then one year as a starter in Green Bay, I guess, uh, you know, someone had to be not Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, or Bart Starr in Green Bay. And then one year uh, he played for Tampa, but he was a backup. 
It looks like he was a backup for Seattle at age 31 as well. It says zero games started. So, oh, so zero games started. You're right. I'm sorry about that. But yeah, I mean, Seattle Staple, our first quarterback, man, you know, he, he, it, it, it holds a special place in Seattle Seahawks football. I must say, though, I mean, the guy went like when he, his fourth year, George, Jim Zorn came out. We'll talk about this later on the podcast in the future, though. He did have a winning record in his third and fourth year and actually was playing some good football. But I feel like he's kind of known as a, Seahawks legend in some sense, but maybe that's because you are the first quarterback in history and you did last 10 years. So it's kind of hard. This, it doesn't really matter if you did great or not. Right. I think at that point, I you think just it's had more to be about competent and yeah. he was competent as a fran- as a franchise looking for their first quarterback in 10 years is a lot for a team that's on, you know, it's been around for 50 something. It was 50 years now, 60 years. Yeah. About well, 24 plus 20, 46 years. Yeah. 47. Yeah. 10 years is a good chunk of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's so, like 20% of it. Yeah, so, I mean, he's going to be somewhere on that list. Um, Definitely. Well, the Seahawks, I think this year is actually, you know, I guess when you have an inaugural season, it's not – there's not that much that goes on because it's usually a lot of losing. And right. that's where and that's like, what the it was. first year is always interesting. And yeah, I don't know if they even recorded attendance back then correctly. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but I know um, according to the YouTube uh, video we watched about this season, the uh, new state-of-the-art facility called the Kingdom was at near sellout almost every single game. Really? Yeah, that's what the guy said on the uh, YouTube video. I like, but I, I think the part where you were like, really, should have been the new state-of-the-art facility Kingdom. called the Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been to the Kingdom. Uh... I wouldn't necessarily call it state of the art. Yeah. Do you remember the best part of the kingdom, man, was like if you ha- were sitting in the upper deck, there wasn't like a direct way to get to the upper deck other than walking in, in circles for like what feel- felt like an eternity through the ramps. Yes. Uh, around the roundabouts. I do have the, yeah. I have our, I have our um, attendance numbers. Attendance numbers. Okay. Let's see this. Preseason game one at the kingdom, 60,000. 825. But then they played a game in in Spokane, 14,000. I think they were just trying to spread the love. Uh, (laughs) 62,000. Okay, but let's get to the regular season season here. First game at the Kingdom, which had less somehow than preseason, 58,000. But that was more than other stadiums. I mean, then they went to D.C. with 53,000. Kingdom with 59. Kingdom with 62,000 against the Cowboys. And then at Green Bay, 54,000. At Tampa Bay, 43,000. Back at the Kingdom of 61,000. LA, LA Coliseum, which can fit a lot, 52,000. Uh, Kingdom, 57. You had Minnesota with 45. I think it's the... And then Kingdom again, 61. So, I mean, they were averaging... The only game that they had on the road that had more contendents than them was at Giant Stadium in East, mm. East uh, Ruther, Rutherford, New Jersey. It had 65,000 in attendance. Um, but outside of that, we outdid attendance that year when we were playing on the road in Chicago, Philadelphia, Green Bay, Pretty New good. Orleans. So the kingdom was definitely packed. Uh, and I think it kind of goes to show Seattle's kind of always loved this football team, uh, yes. regardless if they're good or bad. Seattle does have some bandwagon. We're, we're true Seattle fans. I can be honest. We do have some bandwagon tendencies. I think, especially with mm-hmm. the Mariners, 
and I knew it the Sonics a lot, but it sounds like the Seahawks from year one had a pretty good attendance. And football is easier though because it's one game a week, right? Absolutely. And I, I, I even I remember before, like when the Warren Moon, and I will get to those days, the '90s, which is where I really started getting into Seahawks football because a '90s kid kid basically late 80s but like even then it was hard to get a ticket in town and this wasn't like the seattle seahawks team we're talking about today this it's always been a hard ticket in town yeah i um um i do have an interesting fact for you Bo, and i don't know if you can pull up the numbers for that after the season ended the seattle seahawks got to host one more game and that was the 1976 pro bowl oh really yeah so it was the first and only time the pro bowl was in seattle and uh, is that kind of like the All Star Game for the Mariners in two thousand one? Was because it was a new stadium. It was the one time they got yeah, to exactly got to do it. And so yeah, and the Mariners actually hosted the All Star Game twice. I think they hosted in nineteen seventy nine, their first season in the Kingdom as well. Yeah, um, so as new stadiums. Yeah, new stadiums in general. So yeah, we hosted the Pro Bowl. I guess it wasn't in Hawaii back then. But watching the video is pretty fun because it was like oh. And we got to play against uh, cool. amazing running back O.J. Simpson. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, it was 1977 Pro Bowl technically because it's like the f- after like the in season. January. Yeah. Uh, I do have some information on this. This is kind of cool, actually. The 1977 Pro Bowl was the NFL's 27th All-Star Game, which featured the outstanding performers of 1976, George. <laughs> um, the game was played on January 17th, 1977 at the Kingdome in Seattle, Washington in front of 63,214 fans. Ooh, Chuck Knoll, wow, favorite. this is some throwbacks. Chuck Knoll of the Pittsburgh Steelers led the AFC team against an NFC team coached by Chuck Knox. Wow, Chucks. The Chuck um, Bowl. Yeah, and Mel Blunt of the Pittsburgh Steelers was named the MVP. Players on the AFC team received $2,000 a piece while the AFC participants each took home $1,500. And if they put those Uh, into Bitcoin, oh my God. Oh my God. They would have, they would have gone on. They would have gone crazy. Um, I don't think there was, there was, there was not a Seattle player. Not one Seattle Seahawk made the Pro Bowl. Yeah. That's what I'm seeing here. Unless it was on defense. They're not showing defense on the roster here. They did not. Um, I, I on the video I was watching about the Pro Bowl, there was not one Seattle Seahawks player. It was mentioned that that's the, kind of messed up. They could have like just thrown in somebody like to sh- to like like a special teams guy just to have in front. And the and the Seattle faithful still showed up to watch the AFC versus NFC. 1977 Pro Bowl. That's pretty cool. Um, I do have some statistics as well, George. Before we get into like the outside of the city stuff. Um, yeah. I just wanted to kind of just read off the couple stats when I when you Google like uh, nineteen seventy six Seahawks facts. It's basically as simple as this, George. I just kind of wanted to lay it out flat. Which two and twelve, fifth in the NFC West division. Mm-hmm. Coach Jack Patera, is that how you say it? Right. I think it's Jack Patera. Yep. Jack Patera, two and twelve. They were points for two hundred and twenty nine points, which is twenty first out of twenty eight teams. Okay. Points against 429, which is 28th out of 28th. So by far, an absolutely awful defense. Dumpster um, fire on defense for sure, except for that Tampa game where they held Tampa to 10 points and got their first win in Seahawks history. Oh, yeah. There you go. I like that. And their expected win loss, I guess according to maybe that was like odds back then, whatever, is 2.6 uh, wins and 11.4 losses. So they kind of fit right where they're supposed to be, and you had offensive and defensive coordinators. Sam Boghanan, Bog Nashian, and Bob Holloway. Uh, hmm. 
<laughs> Never even heard of them. So I'm assuming and, they did not keep their job. The defensive coordinator definitely did not have I a would job. Hope not. Even though we had uh, Nehouse, I forget his first name, he, uh, defensive Nehouse. rookie. Yeah, one defensive rookie of the year in the NFL that year. Nehouse, defensive player of the year rookie. There you go. Yeah. 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 Well, that was kind of the recap of – I wanted to just hit you with the straight facts. And, of course, what's going to be interesting, George, as we go ahead and do this podcast, as for those that are listening, this is obviously Chapter 1, the inaugural. Um, we're out here in our old-school shirts. I got the Tech Mobile, and George has his uh, old-school. That one actually say nine, oh, it says the existence here. That's yeah, it pretty says cool. 1976. That's why I wore it. It's also a double XL from back when I was in high school, and I weighed 230 pounds and I've like or 235, and now I'm around 185. So I uh, just shout out to losing weight and being doesn't fit very well doesn't fit very well but i had to throw it out for the 1976 pot yeah i like you got to do that um well what's going to be fun george is how we're going to be comparing year to year right i mean i think next up next friday which uh for those listening if you're listening not literally as we record this like this year um it's february 12th 2021 right now next friday we're going to record the next one, 1977, which is going to be fun. Chapter two is how we're going to be able to see, you know, the changes. Like when we read off who the offensive and defensive coordinator, do we get like a firing in the first year? Talk about the record changes, like the improvements of Petura on a hot seat or not. Yeah, probably. And you kind of get to just see how things have changed. How many Pro Bowlers did we end up with the next year? Yeah. Did we end up with any, right? Or probably Steve Largent turned into one or something, but that's where it's kind of really cool as you go along with these is we can piece back and see how the Seahawks evolved year over year and like how the changes came and, and we'll get into jerseys, like you said, and stuff like we're both wearing the old school stuff. I got the silver helmet jerseys, which in my opinion, to this day, the silver helmets should be the main staple of a Seahawks football. Uh, Totally. And I actually still think if those were the helmets today, they would be the best helmets in all the NFL. I think, I think they're so clean. Well, especially, I think the silver is like the most classic in the NFL when you have like the Patriots, uh, Cowboys, Raiders, but I think the Seahawks logo outside the Raiders one is pretty cool because it's the school. The Seahawks actually have those three franchises don't have like a cool color on top of it. Like the Seahawks have the green, in blue mm. on top of the silver, which actually makes it pop a little yeah, different. Yeah, I, like, I, I couldn't agree more. So special. And the blue face mask. My God. I don't understand why they don't do those jerseys. Uh, um, neither do I. Any last words on the 1976 season? I know we're going to talk about some other things that were happening in, you know. In Seattle. Yeah. In uh, no, Seattle. nothing no, nothing much on the 76 season, inaugural season. There's not much to say here. Um, but overall, man, um, I'm going to give this team grade a D minus. Um, not the only reason I'm not giving them an F is because they won the uh, expansion championship. They finished with a better record than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa. So they get, they get a D minus as a you know season record, no Pro Bowl or stuff. D-. And they got a second win too. They, yeah, against against division against division rival Atlanta Falcons. Yeah division rival um yeah i think uh for me i'll also go for d not d minus because at the end of the day as an expansion team like you said to not go with the goose egg and go 0 14 is a big thing and on top of that you did draft steve largent that year oh that's a great point. i think for maybe up until cortez kennedy and you know walter jones and russell wilson time like for the past 30 years, he was the best, you know, Seahawk ever, right? I think oh, yeah. 
you can start arguing once more Hall of Famers evolved, like the Cortez Kennedys and Russell Wilson now, and Walter Jones is maybe the best, you know, offensive lineman at one of the best ever. So it's hard to determine now. But for first, what was it, 15, 20 years? Steve Largent was by far the best player in Seahawks history. Yeah, and, and I mean, if we're, if we're going to give a, you know, just a off the top of my head, Seattle Seahawks bound Rushmore, I think he has a spot on that still today. I think. Yeah, along with who? Russell Wilson. Walter Russell Jones. Wilson, Walter Jones, and Cortez Kennedy. Kennedy, yeah. It, it's going to be hard not to add somebody, though, like a Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner, really I know. Up, when you break that down by the end of the career, George, because I know Steve Largent was great, but Bobby Wagner was the lead man of the Super Bowl winning defense. And then you have Richard Absolutely. Sherman and freaking I know, I know. So Chancer and Earl my Thomas. Largent is when he retired, he was the NFL's all-time leading receiver in yards, touchdowns, and receptions. Like yeah, that's pretty, be, we got to remember the NFL didn't start in 1976. Like there was NFL right. way before. It's what the exactly. early like 19 what 20 I think. Yeah, 1920s and 30s. I mean, there was the AFL and then the football league. I mean, they formed to make the NFL. Blah blah blah. blah, blah. My yeah. point is, he wasn't just the leader because it was the beginning of time. Like he right. was in like the thick of already a historic NFL. Exactly. So, so, and now he's blown away now. Like, I don't even think he's like top seven in any of those categories anymore, but the game's offensive. Yeah. Offensively. Um, well, George, I'll, I'll say the first one. And I think you touched on some of these, obviously in the, the beginning monologue here, but the things that happened in 1976 and the first one was the Mariners were formed. Um, and by formed, is that because it was, they were, it was at the remake, and they started in 1977, right? I think they started in 77. Yeah, we were awarded a franchise uh, by the Major League Baseball as an expansion fr- franchise in 1976. And thus, you know, they formed the name, the Seattle Mariners, blah, blah, blah. And we knew, we knew they were coming to town. They just weren't in town. Kind of like the Kraken last year. And we know they're yeah, starting. Exactly. This- exactly so the seahawks the the mariners were formed so it kind of it was kind of a big time if you actually think about it in seattle right i mean we had the sonics already yeah and now you're like you're becoming a three sports city which you know there's the three sports cities in the united states are mostly the major cities and if you look at this which we'll talk about in in future episodes of course is you had like 1976 inaugural season for the Seahawks 1977 you have the uh the Mariners, Mariners inaugural season and 1978 was the first time that that Sonics team made the NBA championship yep. right they and won in 79 but imagine if they won in 78 even it would have been a new football team in 77 or 76 77 and baseball team in 78 your first championship uh for the NBA team they still mm-hmm. made the finals and they still made one the next year but we're talking about a three four year span in Seattle where it's like Boom! You guys get a football team. Boom! You get a baseball team. Boom! You get a ba- you get yep. a basketball championship. And to add on top of you get everything. I think it was either 1976 or 1975. Uh, a man by the name of Don James left Kent State University to join the Washington Huskies as the head coach. So let's just say the 70s, 75 through 80, was some glorious times in Seattle sports history. Okay, so let's restart this, George. You ready? Yep. It's like boom, boom, boom. Money for you, money for you. That's what, like Seattle was getting, right? Just like we no, no, Sammy, Sammy, you gotta do zip, zap, bing, doom. <laughs> I like the yeah, guy. In the the video. Doc, that's the documentary from 1976. Bing, bang, boom, bomb. 1975, <laughs> Don James, first year as the Washington Huskies coach. 1976, 
the first year for the Seahawks, 1977, the first year for the Mariners, 1978, the Sonics make the finals, 1979, the Sonics win the finals. And we're probably going to mention this on every podcast up to the, yep. for the next four because, so I'm not going to go too deep into it, but we're That's talking, cool. we're talking Don James, Seahawks, Mariners, NBA championship in a four or five year span. It's pretty solid in Seattle. Yeah, that's yeah. It was. Uh, let's just say it was not sleepless in Seattle when it came to sports. No, and the beauty of the Mariners being formed, George, uh, mm-hmm. what is that? You don't become a real sports town until you have all the sports, which yep. sounds kind of weird because right now the, the Seattle's missing a basketball team. But I don't think anyone considers that fair, as in like calling them a yeah. sports town because because we're robbed, kind of. Like this was a full. Uh, we're Rob. We're getting a hockey team now. We have a soccer team and bas- baseball, football. Like the basketball should be here, but it's just not. So, like, I- I'm not saying we aren't the real. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? No, I, I totally, it, totally get it. You have to have all those major sports to be the real sports town. And exactly, and that, we became that in the really right in the 1970s. So, pretty yeah, cool. it's pretty awesome. Yeah, um, I guess you're right. That is the biggest highlight there. Uh, I'm going to highlight one thing. I thought that the Seattle Sounders hosting the New York Cosmos and having Pele come into town was like one of the coolest things ever. I mean, I remember back in, I think I want to say 2008 or nine, uh, Barcelona and uh, Messi came to Seattle to play the Sounders and I got tickets to that game and I got to see Messi in person and it was in front of a 70,000 sold out crowd in uh at the time I think it was Quest Field still but it was before Century became Century Link and I could imagine this is kind of similar to that right like an international soccer superstar coming into town that maybe the most famous soccer player in the whole world at that time in Pele it was either Pele, I was before Maradona so yeah it was Pele and he came to Seattle and the Seahawks lost th- uh, the Seahawks the Sounders lost 3-1 to them I think we lost to the Barcelona the game I went to 5 nothing but it is cool to see like you know these international superstars coming to Seattle yeah, I um, I will say this. When a superstar comes to a city, it's probably one of the coolest experiences in general. And you see that to this day. I think some of my best memories as a kid, George, was like uh, when you'd go like, oh, Cal Ripken Jr. is playing against the Mariners mm-hmm. and you get to go watch that. Or the Boston Red Sox are coming with Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz. Or when the Yankees come to see Jer- Derek Jeter or – you know, if Tom Brady was in town, it's like, oh my God, like what if I'm out in downtown and Tom Brady walks around, right? Like or walking to their hotel. Like exactly. when even back before the pandemic, of course, when there was games that we could go to, uh, 2019, uh, my girlfriend bought me tickets to go to Portland to watch LeBron James on the Lakers. And I'm telling you, like the stadium in Portland, which is a one city, one team, what you know what I mean? One team one city. Seems, yeah. Yeah, they the bars like people were on edge trying to figure out if LeBron was playing because I know majority of people bought tickets that day to watch LeBron James and it makes there's a huge it's especially back then right because you couldn't even watch as high quality on TV or like you're not following it on social media back then if there's a star in town like you want to make the game. Well, I mean, what you just said, Sammy, it's the buzz, right? When there's a star in town, you feel a buzz. When Jordan came in town when I was a kid, there was a buzz. Like you said, when LeBron is in in Portland, you went there. We don't have a basketball team now. There's a buzz. Like You feel the buzz when a superstar comes to town, and I think it's really cool. I love it. 
Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, just, I'm going to give you like a, a real quick story here. Like back in 1997, it was a year after the Sonics lost to the Bulls in the NBA championship. The Bulls were coming to town to play the Seattle Mayor, uh, Seattle Sonics. And I had tickets with my with dad and a family friend of ours. You know him. Uh, he goes by Sammy Som. And um, we went to a monster truck show in uh, the kingdom, right? So there was the monster trucks and stuff. I and the monster truck shows at the kingdom, dude. Yeah, they were so fun. And then the announcer goes, and welcome in the 1990, the, the, the Chicago Bulls are in attendance watching the game. And the whole entire kingdom just booed the shit out of the Chicago Bulls. Because it was, oh, because it was a I team that just beat us in the NBA finals a year before. But it's kind of cool. Yeah, but it was cool. I mean, people were excited. Obviously, the Bulls were in town. <laughs> I was like, man, I don't know if I'd be booing that. I'd be like, I want to see Michael Jordan. He's exactly. a hard one to boo. Um, the next one that I saw here was Bill Graham, an evangelist, was the biggest event in the city that year. Yeah, is he like one of the celebrity celebrity preachers type of thing? Exactly. So I guess he I don't know where what venue it was in, but it, it brought in seventy thousand people according to the Seattle PI. And I was like, damn, that's pretty crazy. I I don't think Seattle is that type of city today here in twenty twenty, or an evangelist would probably choose to come to to try to preach, right? I think it'd be more of a uh one of well, I guess maybe, but in general, I, I feel like it's more of a Texas or Alabama type of thing. No offense to those places, but I just think that's it didn't feel so Seattle to me. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, like Joel Olstein type of guy, right? Yeah, exactly. Like really big time evangelist. Wow, sold at seventy six thousand. That is pretty big. Anyway, yeah, I thought that was pretty big. Um, Ballard became a historical district from the Swedish King, which I was like, I don't know how the Swedish King has the like authority to name Ballard a historical district. Yeah. Well, why was, why would that be a thing? Um, well, I mean, Ballard's of, cool. don't get me wrong, but why? <laughs> well, historically Ballard had, uh, had a lot of Norwegians and Swedish, um, immigrants who would settle in Ballard because it was very similar, like the climate and the look to Sweden and Nor Norway, where, you know, you have the water, the cooler weather and stuff. So a lot of immigrants actually Im immigrated from just history of Seattle, uh, from the Nor Nordic countries to Ballard. But I don't know why the Swedish king had the authority to make it called into a historical district, but he did. Interesting. Uh, interesting. That's all I got to say. Conservative Democrat, George, Dixie Lee Ray, mm -hmm. was elected as the state's first woman governor, um, which is interesting because that, that I feel like that was probably pretty progressive back then. And obviously, Seattle mm -hmm. continues to be a very progressive type of place. Um, that, that, I feel like that's, pretty, that's a pretty big deal in 1976. Like now I, it's I not agree, a big deal if there's a woman governor. No, absolutely. But the reason I put that on there is what is a conservative Democrat? No idea. Me either. Right. And last but not least, um, the Woodland Park Zoo got approved to start building, which I could not imagine the city of Seattle without the Woodland Park Zoo. Where did people go on field trips before that? You know, the aquarium probably. I don't know if the aquarium was open or not, to be honest with you. It might have been, might have not been. But uh, yeah, the Woodland Park Zoo. Seattle once had no zoo, Sammy. Uh, did people, oh, actually, what year oh, are we doing right now? 1977? 76. 76. Okay. 
aquarium of 77. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, right. Woodland Park Zoo is a staple, though. I mean, to be honest, in all, in all seriousness, Woodland Park Zoo is one of the, you know, it's no San Diego Zoo, but it's a pretty good zoo, and it's a pretty good staple, I think, when you have kids in this area or when you are a kid. I haven't been there, man, since... I don't even know, I, but I do know people tend to go to the zoo, the George, for like zoo lights and stuff and yep, Christmas exactly. time. Exactly, and I, I love the nocturnal room. I don't know if it still exists in nocturnal room, but that was my favorite room in the Woodland Park Zoo. I don't. I, I probably, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that that I'll probably remember when you go there. Um, exactly. But it, it it is it is quite. Oh, is that where you get to see the like uh, like, like the uh, night night animals, bats and spiders? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I just thought it was there sometimes. Exactly. Yeah, that was a little nerve wracking, but I thought it was kind of cool. It's much cooler as a kid. I feel like now I'm like, okay, this is kind of kind of creepy, creepy, gross. I don't know what the right word is, <laughs> but exactly. you know what? We'll probably, when I have kids one day, George, the zoo will be the spot to go. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's all we got, and that's our 1976 Seattle Seahawks recap on Pod That. Um, just so people don't forget, George, this voice you're hearing, or if you're watching this on video, you would know, but this is Sammy. And this is George. And next week, we're going to be recording our 1977 Seattle Seahawks podcast. And you can find us at Pod That for our podcast on all platforms, at The Sports on Tap for our main brand, thesportsontap.com, and last but not least, at Sont Seattle, S-O-N-T Seattle, on all platforms. Uh, show us love. I'm Sammy on tap. It's S-A-M-I on tap. We have George on tap, which is a really easy one to remember because you know how to spell George um, on all platforms as well. We really appreciate uh, rate and review. Like this on YouTube, wherever you're watching. Um, share with your friends. George, I think this is going to be a fun uh, series next, next Friday's Chapter 2. Chapter 2, baby. 1977. Here we come. Hopefully uh, a little bit of a better record for the Seahawks starting next week. But thanks for listening to Chapter 1. This is the Sports on Tap. And George? This is the Internet's pub. I like that. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks. And uh, we'll be back soon. Peace.